of that $84.4 trillion that we've been talking about, $11 trillion of that is going to go to philanthropy. And that's like 15, 14%. So 14 to 15% of the 84.4 trillion to philanthropy. That's amazing. Welcome to Be Giving, a podcast from Foundation Source, the nation's largest provider of foundation management services and a trusted source for philanthropic expertise. In each episode, we'll hear from notable experts, where we engage in conversations about personal perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on the most important issues shaping the philanthropic space. Let's dive into the world of charitable giving right here on Be Giving. We're delighted to introduce our listeners to Dian Yuan. Dian has more than two decades of experience in philanthropy. She founded the Center for Philanthropy and Social Impact at the American College of Financial Services, where she was based when we had this conversation. Deanne recently co-founded Daylight Advisors, a global professional development community for philanthropy and social impact. Welcome, Deanne. Thank you for inviting me, Elizabeth. This is great. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. Well, First, maybe a few words about the Center for Philanthropy and Social Impact and who you work with, what you do, sort of who, who are your key stakeholders? Our work actually is with advisors, uh, professional advisors, allied professionals, uh, mostly wealth and financial advisors, but also with attorneys and CPAs. You know, the center is actually quite new. We already started about two years ago. Oh, actually, a year in planning and in the year of actually doing work um, externally. But the idea was we have the CAP program or the Chartered Advisor and Philanthropy Program at the college, and that's been around for more than 15 years. But what we were finding is once folks graduated from the CAP program, they were looking for more. They're like, how do I continue this work? How do I learn more? How do I deep dive into additional content? And that's why the center was born, um, to really address this issue of continuous learning from wealth advisors, especially in the philanthropic advising space. But about a year ago, when we were creating the center, a new thing kind of happened in our space, philanthropy advisors, right? We've been around for years, but I think uh, there's not been like a real kind of push to do research and thinking and gathering and convening of philanthropy advisors. So part of the center's work is really to think about how we can bring philanthropy advisors together and to really build a sector around our work. So really exciting work, uh, lots going on. I'm excited to share some of the work with you. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think not everyone knows that the American College of Financial Services issues the CAP certificate to financial advisors, those working in the asset management field and, and partnering with clients who you know, with a certain amount of resources. So the American College created the, the CAP certification, and then you added on to that in the last couple of years, the, the center's work in, in, in sort of giving more and, and follow-up resources to those advisors. I'm delighted and fascinated by this. And, and I think it, in some ways it goes without saying where philanthropy fits into your work. But I wonder if you could say a few words about about that decision-making process, what drew the American College to this this sector and the importance of philanthropy in uh, wealth management? And then you've said a few words already about why advisors are hungry for more, but maybe we'll, 
we'll start there. Sort of why philanthropy in this broader sector? Yeah, Elizabeth, that's a great question because you know the college, uh, the American College of Financial Services, is ninety six years old. Right? We are we were one, we started out really as an assurance college. We wanted to support veterans that are coming back uh, and kind of put them through this insurance training program that's so that they could be insurance advisors. And then over the years, we added other programs like such as wealth management and kind of the the CFU, a CFP, and the CLU and the CFP training. Twenty years ago. But 20 years ago, we had a donor, a very, very successful family um, in the insurance business. And he was very, very giving. He and his wife have always you know, considered and adopted the community as their own kind of children. And as they were retiring and selling their business, they were wondering, you know, I have so many other advisors I work with. I'm an advisor myself. But how come no one is helping me think through my own philanthropic planning as well? Mm -hmm. um, there are no advisors out there that are really proactive in having that philanthropic conversation. And so Bill and Sally Wallace decided that they were going to create a program. And since they were already on the board, uh, Bill Wallace was on the board of the American College. He said, why not integrate this with the training for wealth and financial advisors? This is a very natural conversation for advisors to have. And so that's how the CAP program was born. Um, and interestingly, Elizabeth, the way that they endowed the CAP program was through a planned gift. They actually <laughs> donated their vacation home to endow and start the program. So I, I think that the creation, the thought and the intention behind it was actually a practice of philanthropy in that's itself. Right. Yeah. So. They were walking the walk. Yes, exactly. And, and that's why it's so interesting to tell the story, because we know that the advisors and the gift planners immediately understand, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, that's how we integrate philanthropy into our conversations, because really the, the um, endowment was created through a playing gift and with a team of advisors that brought it to life. Right. You know, it strikes me that you are interfacing with sort of two different stakeholder groups. The first and foremost, or the nearest, is the the advisors themselves, and then their clients. And I'm, I'm wondering if you find that philanthropy can be a tough sell in any way with either of those stakeholder groups. And if yes, what are the barriers that you're seeing? So, well, let me step back a little bit, Elizabeth, and tell you a little bit of story about the advisors of color, because, you know, in the advisors of color program, you came and spoke to the group. So, you know, a little bit about our work, the, the CAP program was, you know, humming on organic growth. It was amazing. And back in 2019, we started seeing double, double digit growth in the philanthropic advising sector. And we were like, oh my gosh, where is this coming from? And it's because if you look back in 2019, during the COVID and transition, a lot of people were trying to figure out the whole philanthropic piece. And, you know, people were going through kind of this, you know, how do I help my community? And a lot of people started thinking, oh, you know what? Our clients are having and asking us about how to give back. And so as advisors, we also need to understand how to have these conversations. So we started seeing this huge growth in the CAP program. And then when George Floyd was murdered, we realized when we looked at our caps, this was uh, about 2,200 caps at the time, only 80 or 90 of them were advisors of color. And that was like a moment for us. And we realized, wow, it's great that we're turning out all these cap designees, 
but we have to be a little bit more intentional about who we reach out to as well. And so that's how the Advisors of Color was born. So within the CAP program, we wanted to encourage the number of Advisors of Color into and having these philanthropic conversations. And because of that, we saw instantly saw a huge growth as well, because a lot of the advisors in the space, especially advisors of color, realizing, wow, I belong here. I can I can join this program and I will be heard and I will learn not just having the philanthropic conversation, but how it ties back into my community and my work. So since then, we've had about 240 advisors of color that have gone through the program. And we're really proud of that because now they're in the communities, they're working in the profession, right, in the, in the wealth and financial advisor profession, and they're helping uplift the conversation as well. So they're bringing, and they're very, very proactive about bringing the philanthropic conversation to the forefront with clients. But, you know, to get back to your question about kind of the, the work that we do, I feel like with the world changing, we need a step change, right, in our approach, our ambition, the pace for social impact. And, and the reasons are around us. Um, I think the UN Human Development Index is at all, placing us at all-time low, like 90%, right, dropping for 90% in the world in 2021. And I think a lot of people are very, I don't want to say hesitant, but they are, you know, afraid of what the next generation will do, what the world will look like in the future. But against all this, you know, challenges that we have, we have the resources. We have the resources and we have this emerging will, right, for, for creating systemic change and sustainability in, in our work. And I think what's interesting, Elizabeth, even though there might be kind of hesitations about bringing up charitable giving mm-hmm. and philanthropy, of the $84.4 trillion that we've been talking about, about this uh, passing, $11 trillion of that is going to go to philanthropy. And that's like 15, 14%. So 14 to 15% of the 84.4 trillion to philanthropy. That's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are not training our advisors properly to have these conversations. We do our work at the CAP and the college is good enough, but it's not great. We need to do more. And what we're finding is advisors are keen. They're very, very keen to have those conversations but they might not have the competence, like the mm-hmm. skill set. Mm-hmm. They may not have the confidence as well, right? And most important, they may not have the resources to follow up on the client questions and conversations to do the work. And it's so, really so much more has to happen. Right, it, it's so interesting because I think you've identified right off the top an issue of role and how advisors defined their role and, if you will, their place in this conversation. You've you've talked about a particular segment of advisors that may not have previously seen themselves as um, the right person to bring up this topic, but I would imagine that many advisors across many different segments believe that. And it sounds like you're really changing that, that you're broadening the perspective on what advisors can and and potentially should discuss with their clients. So I wonder if as you're talking sort of the, what is that training of advisors look like? You're very clear on why philanthropy is important and why philanthropy should be part of an asset management or a wealth management practice. What are some of the things that you help your students, if you will, understand and what, how can they change or, or 
broaden their work to broach this question of charitable giving? Uh, it's it's so Elizabeth. There's a, a interesting study back in 2018, and I always refer to this because you you brought up the word should, right? <laughs> um, U.S. study of philanthropic conversation. Remember back in 2018, uh, doing this work, they said 78 percent of advisors feel that is their responsibility to raise the issue of charitable giving, and 62 percent of those advisors consider it to be an ethical and professional obligation to discuss philanthropy with their clients. Now that's amazing, right? Like this is back in 2018. And if it's going to be an ethical and professional obligation to do this, that means you that is the standard that we must hold ourselves against. So if you're an advisor and you see the standard, you have to ask the question, well, how do I hold myself against the standard? And then how do I obtain the skills, right, and the competence to do this work. So aside from the American College and the CAP program, there's other programs like 2164, and Mm -hmm. Stanford's creating another program as well. But if you look at just the general kind of skills and competencies around this area, there is no one set competence and skill Mm -hmm. set track. Mm -hmm. So what happens is we have to figure out how to integrate kind of the curriculum and learning design into the, what the advisors are already doing. And so, you know, when we teach estate planning, of course, there's going to be a charitable giving component, right? So if we talk about financial planning, there's a, a charitable component as well. And especially now we see the uh, baby boomers retiring, philanthropy is part of that conversation. So even within retirement planning conversations, we are going to see pieces of the, the giving. So that means every single advisor all the way from those serving like the everyday next door millionaires, all the way to the ultra high net worth individuals, we have to integrate those conversations in there. And it's a spectrum, right? It's not just, it, it depends on the complexity of the client and the donor. Mm-hmm. And so training is difficult on that level. And so I think what we try to do is meet the visors where they are, what they're learning and integrate philanthropy into those conversations and then try to expand. And what we're seeing, Elizabeth, and you know this, it's like the complexity of what clients are asking. And it's not so much about tools anymore, right? It's, it's also about like, what is it that they're trying to do? And so having those conversations is the most difficult to train. The way we talk about it in the program is the how and the why. Mm-hmm. How is easy? How is the technical piece? We yeah. can learn the how. We can get that in a book. We can get that through training. Um, but the how is very difficult. And that is really, can the advisor also do some reflection and, and think about how they approach their own giving? And then through that, can they also learn the questions to ask and how mm-hmm. to support their clients, right? So the how is the behavioral piece, the psychological, the how do we get this information from our clients so that we can help them? with their plans. And that requires a lot of trust. So the client or and the advisor, so the advisor has to build a lot of trust with the client and mm-hmm. the donor in order to get this information, right? Um, from And then figure out what the plan is. But again, training, technical issues, technical tools, very easy, but the how and the behavioral piece, very difficult to do. And the only way to do that is through practice. So. Yeah. Uh, Deanne, you, you've said uh, in a different conversation that we've had, you had a really uh, 
potent statement, and that is that advisors are influencers, not gatekeepers, and they don't realize how powerful they are. I really love that idea, and I wonder if we could talk about it a little more as it relates to philanthropy. You know, what might the advisor's influence be on their clients in terms of thinking about philanthropy? Yeah, Elizabeth, I, I, um, you know, my, my son is 12 years old. And so the social media influencers is very much on my mind. And, and so I am very careful about these influencers because it could go bad or it could go really great. Right. Yeah. And so as I was thinking about advisors through this context, to me, uh, advisors are philanthropic influencers, not just mm-hmm. on philanthropy, but also if you think about the relationships some advisors have with their clients, it is long term. It is they they will understand their family, the dreams, the ambitions, and then the things that are also in the closet as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this trust that they have between the advisor and the client is so important, but because. A lot of people think, oh, advisors are gatekeepers and they kind of block or they say no and their negative perception of this. I don't think that's the case. I think it's actually a very, very positive relationship. And if you have a really good relationship with your advisor, your advisor can open all sorts of new ideas and innovation and just not just tools, but different ways of thinking. So for me, um, advisors are extremely amazing influencers in trying to help the clients walk through this journey of philanthropic giving and integrate this piece, what we call it in their long life learning now. We are Mm -hmm. living to 100. So the advisors have this influence and not just on the timing of the gift because the advisor's technical knowledge can figure out the timing, but also in how it's practiced and who, if advisors have relationships with others, they can introduce those individuals to the donors and the client, right? So there's so much power that the advisor holds, but they don't know how much of privilege that is as well. So I think if the advisors embrace this power and realize like I can turn this into something amazing and I could help my clients go through this amazing journey of self-discovery and to do something good, right, with their wealth. That to me is just a huge difference in how the future would look like. Yeah. You've described this difference in perspective. If you're a gatekeeper, then maybe you're about protecting, you're shielding. And I'm imagining that critical conversation and the usual question about tax, tax benefit, tax protection, tax, what have you. And that advisor, it seems to me as a gatekeeper can have the tax conversation and it can end there. And as an influencer, the tax question could really be the gateway to a much bigger conversation as you've just laid out, Dan, that there's the opportunity to talk about purpose, about goals, about legacy. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's also helping, helping not just them, the client flourish, but the family, yeah. every yes. single individual yes. in the family to flourish, right? right. And, and that's what an influencer should be able to do. So you're right, instead of looking at it as, blocking and being the negative perception, right, of an advisor is the opportunity for advisors to open 
all these amazing doors to have. And, and that's when we uh, created Purpose School. So I, I share mm-hmm. a little bit about Purpose School and what we were trying to do. So we were finding that since a lot of folks are living to over 100, and when you retire at 65, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Right. And then, you know, being in Silicon Valley here, we also work a lot with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs, a fourth or fifth company. But at some point, you have to stop and figure out what else am I going to do with all this wealth that I've accumulated and all this talent, right? And in relationships mm-hmm. I have. So, Purpose School was created to help folks in transition. How can we help people take a pause and rethink the direction of their life? right? How can we help each individual flourish as they are? And so Purpose School is created to help them think about how can I integrate purpose and social impact in my long life learning journey. And we were able to kind of test the first cohort out in the Purpose School program. And it was amazing. We, this was back in 2019. Everyone was in transition, Elizabeth. Right. COVID was happening. People were staying at home and working. And then that period, a little bit after the COVID, you know, 2019, we saw a lot of divorces that were happening, like divorces, over 2 million divorces. And, you know, what happens during a divorce is not only the separation of assets, but there is also separation of philanthropic assets as well. Right. And decision making and control over some of the tools that were created. And so that created an opportunity to help people stop, think about what is it I would like to do. And as one of our, our um, Purpose School fellows said, going through Purpose School was more fun and cheaper than going to see my therapist, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the idea is to help, how can we help each individual f- being flourish, right? So instead of spending all this money on how to protect the assets. Let's also ask the advisors, how can we also help the family flourish and find their way? And, and you know, in the estate planning and financial planning process, families struggle with how much is enough as well, mm-hmm. right? How much do I pass on to my children? What is the dollar amount that helps them flourish, not spoil them, but then also help them do some good in the world? And so that is the struggle, I think, with a lot of parents of how do I know how much is enough? And, and I think, you know, by going through the purpose school curriculum or talking to the advisor and the advisor is an influencer again, because the advisors, you know, advice will have a lot of influence on how much is enough, right? Yeah. They can give examples or, or they can say, put in barriers instead of it being a true gift, right? It could be more like barriers to the gift. Yeah. You've created this incredible framework, I think, to talk about wealth and and really a tool for for all of us and specifically advisors to talk about wealth. And that is to really think through the implications of wealth on the individual. Sometimes it's the wealth creator. It's the wealth creator and their spouse. The individual first, then the family, and then extending that to the community. And you've You've hit on some really interesting and I think critical topics such as decision-making around what to do with that wealth. How do you deploy it? Once you've earned it and you have it, what are you going to do with it? And what effect is it going to have not only on your immediate family, but perhaps future generations? And do you want to extend that beyond to the community? And I, I, I think that's a really 
helpful and illuminating way to think about wealth. Um, and I'm, I'm delighted that those thousands of advisors have come your way, Deanne, to, to, learn, to learn more about how to talk about that. I, I wonder as a sort of question for you, what would you say philanthropy adds to the practice, to the practice of wealth management? Oh, I, I think philanthropy actually, the innovation, I think is really interesting in this space. In the financial and wealth management world, we use certain tools already. And there's certain what we call legacy and dynasty systems, right, that have been put in place. But the innovation that's being created in, in the philanthropy state space is also pushing I think against these technologies and also in how advisors think. So it's quite amazing that yes, we we talk about already cryptocurrency and we talk about all these amazing you know kind of alternative wealth that is out there. Um, but a lot of advisors actually came through and started learning a lot about this, not because they wanted to, but because they were forced to by their clients, especially the younger generation. The younger clients are saying, "I would like to." make crypto gifts or I would like to make, you know, like so all these like NFT gifts, right? So it's so interesting. And the clients were scrambling in the very beginning to try and figure out how do I help this younger generation of clients make these gifts. Um, and that's when we were starting to see like the search and interest in cryptocurrency as, you know, philanthropy. And then also these innovation of tools that are happening on structures. So with the I would say the social injustices that we're seeing through society, a lot of their high net worth and ultra high net worth clients were thinking, besides philanthropy, what else can I do to move that needle, right? And so the advisors then were forced to learn about political giving, about lobbying, about giving circles, and about things that were not the typical donor vice funds or the prior foundation tools that we were taught, Right. And so we were seeing this kind of really interesting search of innovation that was happening in the advisor space. And also the advisors were behind. They were behind in terms of knowledge about what the uh, clients were asking. And so the advisors were scrambling to try and meet this knowledge space need. And so we were seeing also clients actually training and like helping our advisors learn what they were doing so they could get caught up. And impact investing was another piece that we were seeing that was so interesting. A lot of the clients were saying, what can I do more besides just investing? Can I do other things with the wealth that I hold? And mm -hmm. impact investing in ESG was on this amazing search in the space. But we're, we're, interestingly, we're also seeing that advisors in the philanthropic advising space are specializing we're, we're mostly generalists, right? As philanthropy advisors, we are generalists. We serve clients from all different kind of walks in life and interests and projects. But now we're seeing this interest in say climate philanthropy or like the gender lens piece. And so we are seeing climate philanthropy advisors popping up. And even in the gender investing space as well, philanthropy advisors are very, very knowledgeable in that space. So clients now have this amazing, I would say, a variety of advisors they could pick from and choose from. So which means our own wealth and management advisors need to get caught up, right, and what's going on. And I, I, I like to at least say that for the advisors and the clients on this journey, that they're not alone. There's so many like-minded individuals, whether as the client on the donor side 
and there's so many of these donor education and donor networks that they could tap into, but also on the advisor side as well. There's so many specialists in the space that if you don't know something, you could always pick up a phone, right? Or mm-hmm. send someone an email or ping them on LinkedIn and you can learn from each other. And so I'm hoping like, I think the one thing I would like to kind of let the world know is whether you're a donor client or whether you're an advisor, you should never be alone on this journey. That's terrific. So we have a few lightning round questions to ask. So we'll just jump right in. List three adjectives you would use to describe the philanthropic sector. I would say adaptable, aspiring, and belonging. So. What is the greatest misconception about deploying one's assets for philanthropic purposes? I think there's a perception that it's very easy to deploy philanthropic assets. You're just giving away money. How hard can that be? But actually, it's it's really difficult and it's a burden for others. And this is why they should never be alone. And I think it's because there is this guilt as well on the idea of, oh, my gosh, I can't fail. I need to do the right thing or I have to make sure what I deploy out in the world has does not have unintended consequences, right? I think that's why a lot of uh, donors or clients hesitate in their beginning journeys in the space of just not wanting to fail. But and it's not easy. So in 10 words or less, what advice would you offer to someone new to distributing wealth via philanthropy? Be intentional, let's see, learn about the sector and find others in the space, be, be reflective. And then I think seeing it as a journey. That's awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough, Dan, for joining us today for this conversation about our shared enthusiasm and, and passion for philanthropy. And thanks to our audience for being part of the Foundation Source podcast be giving. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Be Giving with Foundation Source. We hope you found our discussion enlightening, entertaining, and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an update. We appreciate your support. And if you could take a moment to leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. Your feedback helps us improve and bring you content that matters most to you. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. Join us on Facebook, Instagram, X, or LinkedIn to share your thoughts, suggest future topics, and connect with fellow listeners. We love hearing from you and building a vibrant community around the ideas we explore. To learn more about Foundation Source, you can visit our website, foundationsource.com. And together, let's be giving.